Hello East Glenville Community Church, this is Jessica Munn with episode 28 of So, I Have a Question. And today we are going to be talking about 1 Kings chapter 18, which correlates to uh, Sunday of May 15th and May 22nd. Yes. So, got quite a bit, quite a bit happens in chapter 18. It is, it's a long chapter and it's, uh, um, in fact, we really didn't even get to the end. No, you didn't. So... There's still a little bit more coming, but we'll flow right into chapter 19 this this coming week. Cool. Okay, so the first part of chapter 18 is God tells Elijah to go and reveal himself to Ahab. He's been in hiding. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in the process of going to meet Ahab, uh, Elijah meets this character named Obadiah. Correct. So Obadiah was the right-hand man, pretty much, of King Ahab. So my first question is... Did Obadiah compromise his beliefs by partnering with King Ahab? Not necessarily. Okay. But we don't know. I mean, we don't know what Ahab ordered Obadiah to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know how Obadiah got into it. I mean, he may have had very little choice. Uh, it, it There's also a big question mark of who was... Well, it's not... It's really... It, the scripture keeps saying it's Jezebel who's initiating the persecution, the, the putting the prophets to death. Mm. And so Ahab may have been a step removed from that. Now, as king, he should have stopped it right. and intervened, um, but he may not have been initiating that. But So an outsider to the palace may seem like, well, this is the administration's policy, Mm-hmm. To an insider, they would see, well, it's this faction, the Jezebel faction, who's doing all the, the aggressive stuff. Ahab is letting it happen. So Obadiah may have been able to have nothing to do with necessarily helping Ahab do evil. Mm-hmm. Now, was he helping with the building of the temple to Baal? Maybe, you know, right. and at what point was that crossing a line? That's the hard part of Obadiah. When When is it crossing a line? Mm. So we don't know the details, and even if we did, how well could we judge what it would have been like? Right. I was going to say almost like, I feel like sometimes each person has to almost figure out with God, like, where is that line? Because some people might look at things differently. Yeah. Um, which is why usually it's just easier to stay away from the line. Right. And that's why Elijah just assumed Obadiah was probably mm-hmm. in the wrong. Yeah. In this, and it, it would have made sense if you were an outsider looking at it. I I probably would have thought so too. Well, right, and it, I'm sure that Obadiah didn't go and proclaim like, "Oh, I've hidden all these prophets that King Jezebel wants to kill," right? Because then they would all be dead. Yes. So. So, um, it's just I find it I find his situation interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that you kind of started this whole series with Elijah talking about how like the best comparison between Elijah and like you know uh the kingdom of Israel is closer to us in the church versus us and our nation right uh, so Israel was in covenant with God right that's why they it was not proper for them to suddenly open up the door to multiple religions yep so c- continue on with your question then right so I I am curious though because you know, King Ahab is kind of, he he's creating this polytheistic situation. 
And in some ways, it seems similar to trying to live in a pluralistic society where multiple religions are supposed to be allowed to be worshipped freely. Right. So if you take the Middle East as a whole, Mm -hmm. that would correspond to America then, or the world. Yep. Where you do have this pluralistic society where there's all these religions. Israel was supposed to be separate in certain ways so that they would live differently. Mm -hmm. In the same way, the church, we who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we should not, we we do have to have a separation between us and the world to be different. Yeah. And so the equivalent to Ahab would be a pastor coming into a church and introducing the worship of other gods Mm -hmm. into God's people. And so that that's the equivalent, not a politician trying to, to to foster freedom of religion within a society. Right. Does that distinction make sense? And can 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 that be described better? I, I'm... No, I think I think that distinction makes sense. It. I think that a lot of people, though. I I think that a lot of people automatically assume like, oh, government leader, government leader, and just okay. tie the two together. Yes. Or at least that's that's where my brain... I have to like keep reminding myself to not have my brain go there. Right. Well, and I mean, this is why we I, we did kind of have that big question we talked about. Is America a Christian nation? Right. If you think of America as a Christian nation, then, then, then we're not a pluralistic society. Mm-hmm. And so th- that, that does... That's why I kind of argued against that because... No, it, it, the, the church should be different than the world. We're going to live in a world where people are not worshiping as we do. Right. We shouldn't expect the government or society to, to force people who don't know Jesus to, to worship God. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so you end that, uh, that first sermon with kind of the, the, three, the three points of views you called it. And so the first one was like Elijah and how, like, you know, his special role of just standing up and being blunt and saying, like, you know, what what God was saying. Uh-huh. And then you had the hidden prophets who were, you know, Elijah was able to remove himself from society, but they had to stay and kind of, you know, experience the hostility as it rose and then went into hiding. Yeah. And then we had Obadiah who, you know, not only stayed, but also, like, kind of lived in the lion's den, uh, lived in the corruption, and then still, like, held true to what his beliefs were in the process. Um, And so my question is, like, is there one that is, like, quote-unquote, better? You can't see my air quotes. (laughs) Better or, like, more efficient or, like, you know, the recommended point of view? This is why God made us different and makes us into one body. Mm. You know, when you get to 1 Corinthians 12, it says, you know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So did God in his time, did he need both an Elijah and an Obadiah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And both of them play. And so if you start thinking of equivalent roles in the church, you are going to have people who are pr- probably more comfortable with s- the prophet-like mentality of stand against the evils and injustices and call out for people to change. And then you're going to have others who are maybe more insiders or more patient and work to, to, to work towards step-by-step goals Mm. of 
um, you know, have more compassion and understanding for the, the lost and the hurting. So which one of the two do you relate to between Elijah and Obadiah? I think if I, if I'm looking, if I'm interacting with outsiders or so like non-Christians, uh-huh. um, I would probably be more of an Obadiah. Okay. Like I, I want, if I want them to learn about what I believe in, what I think, then I'm going to learn about what they believe in, they think. Yeah. And put myself in their shoes as much as possible. Right. Um, but if, like, you know, if a pastor came in and started saying something different, I would probably go a little We really Elijah. should start adding this South American god, Pachumilawa, or right. whatever, you know, to our worship set, so not just right. Jesus. Or even just the whole, like, oh, yeah. Jesus wasn't actually God. Like, you know, something like okay. that, where it's just like, nope, like, that is definitely not biblical. Yeah. And uh, So what I'm hearing you saying is you could go Elijah on us. I could. <laughs> All right. That's... <laughs> I, I haven't... You you would know if I did. <laughs> right. And that's, yeah, that's why I think both are put out there mm-hmm. um, as examples for us. And then, of course, the other point I made with that is that you have a, a the bulk of the followers of Yahweh, the prophets, were, you know, just, they didn't have agency. Like, they mm-hmm. were just... You know, they had to stay faithful and and endure. And I think that's probably a similar situation to a lot of Christians. It's not like we don't get to choose what our situation is. No, yeah. We we just have to stay in where God has put us. Mm-hmm. Or stand true where God has put us. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, if obviously, as you just explained, right, some people have potentially different tendencies to have yeah. either they're more on the Elijah side, the Obadiah side, or, you know, just trying to figure out how to do it best in the situation they're in. Yeah. So, like, how do we, how should we respond to each other? Because you said how, like, Elijah was kind of immediately like, Psh, Obadiah, like, who who do you think you are? Like, you know. I'm interpreting the conversation that way. I, it, it makes sense to me. <laughs> It seems to be there, but I, 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 I'm, I hope I wasn't reading into that. That the way the conversation went. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, I think what Elijah needed to. One of the dangers of Elijah's situation was that he, in a sense, and he keeps saying it, "I alone, I'm, I'm the only one left. I'm, I'm doing this alone, and we're just not meant to follow Jesus alone." Mm, mm-hmm. And I think maybe that is the danger that that prophetic mindset of calling out injustice is you, you end up like alienating others, um, and not rather than trying to seek understanding and mm-hmm. and so there's definitely a danger there. Yeah, and I feel like it can be even even easier to slip. Like you're so used to like no, I will be like I will stand strong. Yeah. But then suddenly it's a I will do it instead of God through me. Yeah, me, you know, and so, yeah, there's there's tendencies or there's what's the word I want? Pitfalls. Pitfalls. Pitfalls yeah. works. Pitfalls on like either right. method, which is why we need both. And also why we we need to not be quick to judge others mm-hmm. and their you know how they're following the Lord. Yeah. And and yet we we do we, that's that is our challenge. We always do. Yeah. It's why if Christians work together, it would be like the biggest draw. <laughs> like, wait, you guys can be so different and work together. What? Sometimes we do. Yeah. True. Let so, me. Okay. 
why when Christians don't work together, it's the it biggest... It sticks out. Yes. <laughs> biggest push away. Yeah. Um, okay, so then you also then started to talk about how, you know, when... Okay, so now, now in the story in chapter 18, we get to the showdown between Elijah and all the prophets of Baal. And uh, one of the things you talked about is this idea of how Israel technically... Well, not technically, but how Israel was... I'm going to... I can't say it again. Say it again. Monolatry. Monolatry. Right. I keep on wanting to say monopoly. Monolatry. So if I, you know, understood what you're saying then correctly, it's that Israel's understanding of who Yahweh was developed over the centuries as they continued to follow him. Is that... Am I getting that right? Oh, yeah, that's actually, it's quite clear that, I mean, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they encounter God, mm-hmm. but they don't know him, you know. Even though Abraham is called a friend of God. Yeah, I mean, they, they I mean, they know about him, but, I mean, you look at their lives and they have so much yet that they don't understand the holiness of God in some mm. ways and, and, um, I was thinking about, how in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, in a sense, did have a, the ability to perfectly know and understand God. But then what you'll see happen in Genesis, by Genesis 11, mm-hmm. all of humanity has lost their understanding of God. Yeah. And and so what I see happening from Abraham all the way to Jesus is God is developing that knowledge mm-hmm. in such a way that they can start to understand what he's like. And they live in a world that's a polytheistic world. And in some ways, I don't think they would have been capable of understanding pure monotheism at that stage. Yeah. So God started by saying, just just worship only me. And then they start to realize, and it's really, I, Isaiah is the one who really digs in, mm. the prophet. And he's not till 600 um, BC. Like, this, he's, he's two or 300 years after... Um, Obadiah or Elijah Mm -hmm. and he's the one that starts to mock the idea of oh you take this metal and you turn it into an idol well you know that's just it can't speak it's nothing but I think it's the stories it's the encounters Mm -hmm. that that's taking place in Elijah's time that starts to you know is there really a Baal Mm -hmm. you know why why doesn't Baal bring fire is it maybe there is no Baal not just that he's another god, maybe he's not a god at all. Mm. And I think it starts to open the door for teaching them monotheism. You know that there is only one holy, transcendent God. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's almost like God, in His wisdom, knows that we can only handle so much. So He meets the people of Israel just like He meets us where we're at. Yeah. And then slowly grows us. Yeah. And if you think of, of us being humanity or us being you know, Israel being the people of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, there's a, uh, I know you probably have not seen this, but the matrix, yeah, no. <laughs> the matrix is, uh, there's a character named Neo who they plug him into a computer a machine okay. and they import through the computer, the ability to, to do martial arts fighting and how to fly a helicopter and I think people get this idea that, that, you know, you could just import knowledge and you just do it. But that's, that's fantasy. 
mm-hmm. right? The, the, our brains don't work that way. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just input into our brain. It's got to be experiential. And I think that's what got in order to, to God to develop the knowledge of him, it, it has to take this something like the Old Testament um, time period of these. On, and so we are we who come later, we can look at the stories and start to understand how it plays out. Mm. Okay. Am I making too much of this? Is that? No, I think that makes sense because, okay. I mean, I was going to ask, why do you think God doesn't like didn't just, you know, import all of like all of who he is and all his theology at once. But yeah, it, yeah you're right. That's not, he, that's not how we're made. Yeah. That's not how he, he made us. And in some ways, what happens when he tries? He gives them the law <laughs> and within minutes, they're, they're making a golden calf. Yeah. Right. Um, and he tells them explicitly, don't intermarry with the Canaanites. And what are you getting? King Ahab marrying a Phoenician. Mm-hmm. Um, Solomon marrying all his wives. Yep. So it, it's, so it's not only learning about God, but learning about God and his ways that got, that has to develop. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing, then they get by the time of Jesus that they, they get that the, they should only worship on God. Mm-hmm. The Jews have that part down. Yep. Um, so much so that they're so, sort of hostile to the Gentiles. Yep. So it's almost like they get too far. And then Jesus has to teach them how to love their enemy as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just curious too, like, is this, this, this idea of like theology kind of developing over the centuries? Okay. Do we see this anywhere in the New Testament as well? Um, yes. And you look at the book of Acts, Jesus had commanded them that the gospel would go to all nations. Mm. And in Mark 7, Jesus had talked about how, how it's not what you eat that makes you unclean, but they don't yet get it. Mm. So the early church still was huddled amongst the Jews. The Jews they weren't really making much effort to go out to the Gentiles, and they were still keeping kosher, which kept them separate from the Gentiles. And God almost had to spur them in little fits and bits. And yeah. He does some things with Peter that gets him thinking differently, and then and then just Paul. Finally, God raises up Saul. From completely out of the loop, who who gets it, and you know he's the one that says, "Okay, the Gentiles are fully included." Yeah. And Paul almost has to push the rest of the church into it. Paul led by God. Right. So. And even remind him a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see any other issues where where this development takes place? I think I think sometimes in the. Well, okay. New Testament, or I'm thinking of a, I have a modern example. Go for it. We could talk about it. Yeah. So the, like, things like slavery, right? Yeah. Like, it's one of those, the Bible never explicitly says, like, you will not own slaves. But it's one of those, like, as the theology of the, the theology of the church grew, it was the realization of the, like, this is no way to treat a human. And, like, this is, like, you know, God had set it up like he had the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament where, you know, every seven years you would release your slaves in theory. I don't think it was ever actually practice. And then, you know, in the New Testament, you have Philemon, um, that letter where Paul is pretty much like, you know, let shoot. What's the slave's name? Onesimus. Yes. Thank you. Like, let Onesimus go. Like, let yeah. him be free. And so it's one of those things where it's like that's that's the way it's. 
people say like that's the way the the scripture was pointing but if you had removed slavery at the time of jesus then the entire roman empire would have just collapsed instantaneously well, and how would the christians have had the power to tell the roman empire to get yeah, rid no. of slavery they didn't right instead they just preached the gospel to slaves mm-hmm. and the fact that that slaves could could come to faith in jesus right and, be and in the church equals. be considered equal partners in the gospel yeah I mean, that's that's the revolution right there. You know, you can only change what you can change. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, if you go into it, like you can look at Christian history, you could say that slavery was eliminated amongst the Christian areas of the the Middle Ages. You, you got what's called um, feudalism, yeah. which you owed service. but But I don't think... And I could be correct if someone knows history better, but I, I don't think it's like you weren't enslaving your fellow Christians. You know, you you owed mm-hmm. service, and and that had a there's a whole things that were not great about it, right? But but it wasn't chattel slavery where one person owned another person, right? Or you weren't even the serfs had countries. rights. Yeah, it's only when they started encounter non Christian lands. And then people who are distinctly different, who they stop thinking of as fellow human mm-hmm. beings. Yeah. That that then in the age of exploration, slavery reemerged with a with a an abandon. Mm-hmm. And so and then it had to be stamped out more fully. Yeah. So yeah, that I see development um, from old to new, and it's very clear, even within the New Testament. Um, as far as understanding God better, understanding his ways better. So I guess you could say in some ways, revelation was progressive, but even, even there, if you go back to Genesis Mm one, it was all there, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a holy transcendent God and there's man and woman, male and female made in the image of God. How could you enslave? You describe Genesis one. How could that condone slavery? Mm Mm-hmm. And so obviously it was – the rest of the Bible is God dealing with human beings in the messed up position that they are yeah. and moving them towards a redemptive goal. Mm-hmm. Knowing ultimately to fix fix humanity, he had to deal with us in our hearts. Yeah. Just issuing laws wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Man, you got me on a rant. <laughs> so. Oh, well. Yeah. I'm not sorry. There we go. <laughs> um. Okay, and so you also talked about how a lot of this idea of monolatry, mm-hmm. yes, haha, um, is, you know, we like to keep our options open. And as humanity, like, the, the ability to be able to pick and choose and not lock ourselves in. Um, and I, I was curious, like, is if this is, like, how we're saying human nature functions, are there any other biblical passages that also speak to that? There's there's innumerable ones I could think of. So, I mean, there's times when God gives Israel an out. Like when Joshua um, says to the people, I don't know if you guys can really serve this God. He's he's going to get mad. He's going to destroy you. Why don't we just give up? And they say, no, we want to serve the Lord. And, and so Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, let's do it. Let's not, you know, be half in, half out. Um, that's Old Testament times. And then you obviously look, Jesus, he kept calling people to choose, choose him, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to promise you an easy life. 
fact, if you follow me, you could be going to your death. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm worth it. Yeah. So come follow me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, all these things where he was inviting. Um, I mean, the revelation, uh, you know, blessed is the one who hears these words and believes them. And like, it, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. That So, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, yeah. So, so what, what are you thinking with that question? Well, yeah, I was, I was even thinking, thinking along similar lines of even, I, I think it's the, the church of Laodicea in Revelations where it's like, choose, like, don't be lukewarm, like yeah. be either hot or cold, like make your decision. Just don't stand in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so things like that, where it's like, no, like God very much encourages like, no, make a choice. Right. Um, and sometimes that is directed at individuals. Right. Sometimes it's directed at communities. Laodicea is not individuals. It's a church community. Mm -hmm. You know, you as a church, you have to decide. Are you going to really go for this? Um, Other times it's yet to all who received him, to to the one who believed in his name. It's, you know, everyone else might go a different direction. You got to choose yourself who you're going to serve. That's what's interesting to me, I think, is distinguishing like where is it individual? Where where is it the community called to make the choice? Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, it does lead to a question though. If I, I'm I'm thinking as a human, right? Like, why would it make sense to try to force someone to make a decision, knowing that they have free reign to not choose, like, God? If you're driving a car heading towards a cliff. <sighs> you're going to make a choice. Either you're going to keep driving off that cliff or you're going to stop and turn around. And to worship any other God, they are not real. Mm-hmm. And they will not lead you to where you want to go. They cannot give you life. They can't give you life in this age. And they really can't give you eternal life. They can't take away your sin. So God is saying all those things that, that are you're being told are worth following they just won't, they won't do for you what they promised they'll do. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one who could do that. So, of course, God's going to call us to, to a decision. And yet, he does still allow us to keep driving off the cliff mm-hmm. if we choose. How would you do otherwise? I don't know. No, I, I think, I mean, I think it makes, it makes sense if, if you really know what's best for someone Mm-hmm. and want what's best for someone Yeah. to a give them the option still and not force, you know, your opinions on them, but also then to, to make it clear, like you really do need to choose. Yeah. In my moment of coming to faith, I had very little understanding of, of much of anything, biblical understanding. I'd been hearing the message about Jesus and I got that he was the son of God and that meant that God existed, which I still had just trying to figure out. And and then in, in one moment, like God had kind of conveyed in my inner being that he was there. And what I sensed from God or heard in my head, heard in my heart, is simply, how well have you done with your life? Mm. Right? And it's, would you trust, would you trust me instead? I mean, it, of course it wasn't in words, but that's effectively what I... And like I thought, I didn't have good friendships. Mm. I didn't feel good about things. Like I struggled with all kinds of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I will trust you. I, you know. So I think in the heart, our heart of hearts, God 
brings all people to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then kind of moving on. So the showdown happens between Elijah and all the prophets of Ahab. Uh-huh. So I noticed something on the reread when I was at home. So verse 1 of this entire chapter of First Kings 18 God, all it says is that God told Elijah to present himself to Ahab and that God would bring rain. But then, you know, Elijah kind of later says that, like, when he's praying, he's like, like, you know, show your, reveal to yourself or reveal to everyone that I, like, you sent me and told me to do these things type of thing. And so it was kind of like a, well, like, wait, God didn't actually say that. So was this, like, was the whole showdown Elijah's idea or was it God's and they just didn't tell us? I don't know. <laughs> what, I mean, do you, what do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't. So know. when, thoughts, when, when God know. leads you to do something, does he lay out? A series of directions or does he just point you in a say uh, uh, towards a goal and say go do that how do you tend to mm. sense his leading yeah usually it's more of a a kind of a general direction and you you kind of figure it out as you go that's me yeah i god rarely gives me a roadmap, and sometimes i feel like i take little wrong detours in the midst of it <laughs> i think god gave Elijah the the broad here's what's going to happen mm-hmm. and Elijah knew he had the backing of God for whatever way he approached it mm. and, and that makes sense if you think about it and the fact that like God wants to partner with us because if God just always gave us a road map we would never get to make our own decisions or use our own ingenuity judgment yeah 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 I mean could could if could if Obadiah had been in this role, like in and still in the role of Elijah, but a different personality, mm. could he have approached it a completely different way? And God would have backed that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that's, I don't know. It's very... It is hard to dispute the fire from heaven that yes. would have been able to be seen by most yeah. of the nation. And yeah, but Elijah seemed pretty con- convinced that God would answer mm-hmm. and... I mean, I think of the same thing like you got Peter and John in Acts going into the temple and Peter seems absolutely convinced that this, this guy is going to be lifted, you know, yep. he lifts him up and he, but hopefully he's healed and he was healed. Mm-hmm. And rarely do I have that much confidence in the specific thing. You know, I have confidence in God's general direction. Mm. Um, and maybe that's right. I, sometimes maybe I, I need a... a you know, a little boldness. But then I think there have been a few specific times in my life where I said it was bold. It was mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. My decision to not go to grad school and go into ministry. I did not doubt it. Yeah. I, I knew it. It was real. And looking back, I'm like, I can't believe I made that decision. That was so <laughs> risky. Yeah. So I had a friend who did that. She applied to one grad school. She said, this is where I feel like God is sending me to get my PhD. I'm okay. only applying there. And her parents were like, what are you doing? And she's like, nope, I'm only applying there. All right. And yeah. It's it's one of those, like, it seems like a small thing, but, like, if you actually think about what would happen if it went wrong. Right. There's a lot of consequences. Yeah. So, 
I guess I I think God gave Elijah probably more direction than we get in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my guess is he was praying as he went. He probably prayed that day, mm-hmm. and maybe that's when he had the sense of this is this is gonna this is gonna you know the other factor maybe why I had to go the way it did is is when you saw it was eight hundred fifty to one. True, there had to be a very clear. You know, God had to do something dramatic. Right. Otherwise, I, it had just been swallowed up by the numbers. Yeah. No, that that is true. That is a good point. Yeah. Um, although I do have... So one critique on Elijah. Um, so does this Bible story mean that mocking people to make a point is acceptable? Because he totally mocks them. He did totally mock them. <laughs> or was he mocking what they believe? Um, is it mocking someone if you mock what they believe? I guess in theory, no. They, if people could, I could see people taking it as you mocking them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I. I mean, I think what Elijah did was needed and necessary. I mean, he he orders them to be killed. So I guess mocking them is not the worst thing he does in this this scenario. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, knowing also that they were complicit in the deaths of all his friends. True. This was. This was spiritual war and not like metaphorical war. This mm-hmm. was, you know, a th- there's a seriousness to this that's hard to, uh, for us to fathom in our, in our modern day. Yeah. So I, if you're, if you're asking, should we take what Elijah does and like make fun of mm. other religions as a way to reaching them? That's not very helpful. <laughs> um, Elijah wasn't trying to reach mm. these prophets they had made their bed. They were going to sleep in it. Got it. Elijah was making a point to the multitude of Israel. Um, so even in that, I don't think, like, we don't make fun of Islam so that we reach other... It's still not effective in the way our culture works now. Right. And I was going to say, I think a lot of that is the, the cultural difference of the, like, living in a country where, no, all religions get, you know are allowed to be practiced. Right. If you start mocking them or, you know, doing things like that, it it does the opposite of what it did here. Now, I think we still are called to make our best argument we can. Yes. In in the stuff. And I think sometimes Christians fail at that. They can be too Mm -hmm. wishy-washy. I really appreciate good apologetic podcasts. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was thinking about, I might make... In my next newsletter thing, I have some podcasts I've been listening to that are really good on on defending the faith. Mm. And I might kind of point a few of those out to people um, if that's something others are interested in. Yeah. So the the latest one I'm listening to is called The um, Undeceptions. Mm. And it's very well done, very thoughtful. Um, He's right now talking about the Crusades. Uh And being honest about how this is not our best moment as, as a church. But here's the context, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm only halfway through, so I haven't he- heard how it goes, but so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm okay with Elijah doing the mocking. I, I kind of agree with him. <laughs> I mean, there we go. makes a point. <laughs> okay. So then the aftermath of the entire, uh, uh-huh. showdown. Uh, so you mentioned when you were discussing it how 
you know, and this, the whole aftermath kind of, we summarized, you summarized in the sermon. We didn't go super deep. So one of the things you mentioned is that God forgave his people. And so I was wondering, like, the passage never actually says that God forgave his people. It just says, like, that God brought rain. Yes. Um, and so how did you come to that conclusion, that that was part of it? And that's a that's a fair point, because um, where, where were they sinning such that they, I think, forgave in the sense that that god had not given up on them Mm. like they they still could turn back and if they did turn back god would not hold against them their past behavior got it um ahab actually seems to have a place with god yet as the story goes on he's in other words he's not brought down he's not condemned like some of the previous kings were mm. and and said you're going to die miserably at least not at this point um and i just think of the practical effect that rain would have you know god did not this punishment god. even though i'm saying it was a teaching thing not a punishment but it ended mm-hmm. and so it would have seemed as if it was forgiveness there has to be some aspect of forgiveness in it right so okay that makes sense but it's not like divine forgiveness like we get from jesus kind of forgiveness maybe if that's our mode of what forgiveness is and all our sins are forgiven and we're saved eternally right that might not be that it's in the moment they experience opportunity again to to stay with god Mm -hmm. okay and then so last question i have so in the showdown We've talked about this. Like, Elijah shows great confidence and faith. And he actually... Or, sorry, after the showdown. Hold on. Mm -hmm. Let me restart. Just like in the showdown, which we've already talked about, after the showdown, Elijah actually tells everyone to go, like, eat, drink, pretty much celebrate that God was sending rain before he even prayed to God for the rain, it seems. Mm. Um, And so, like, you know, that's a lot of confidence a lot of faith that god will hear his prayer and will do it and and similar to the the story with the the woman's the widow's son like he has to pray it almost multiple times before it happens yeah uh so i i'm asking this question because my personal experience in prayer doesn't necessarily seem to always match what happened with elijah um like sometimes you keep praying and the prayer never gets answered or sometimes you pray and the answer is no. Yeah. And so, like, is it is Elijah like some special person, or is it is it just a different mm. circumstance? Yeah, I mean, my my prayer life would match yours in that I don't always have confidence, like I said, in the specific thing mm. that God is going to give me that in the way that I ask for it. And I'd say my confidence in God grows as I walk with him. And, but that's confidence more that he will deal with it well overall. And Mm. not that he's going to send fire down to, to burn up my enemies. Like, so there is a sense where Elijah is a special case. I, I think that's clear. He certainly had a special kind of faith and God honored that. And he was chosen for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a role aspect 
yeah. where um, uh, you know the the prophets of old had a special role in in the God's economy. Mm. Um, you know, we as believers have more than Elijah does. We have the Holy Spirit, but we don't necessarily have that same quite role. Um, but I think we're still called to pray with boldness. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we should be more bold. I think <laughs> no, we, we should pray with boldness, and yet um, we can't presume. Mm. I guess that's sort of what I've I've learned because I've I've tried to use boldness in prayer to almost manipulate God. Mm. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. Where I said, I want to take these many kids to camp. And so I prayed it and it didn't happen. In fact, it hardly took any. Like, yeah. you know, back when I was doing youth ministry. And and God sort of taught me, you don't, you're not in charge here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that actually, that reminds me of a, kind of like a time, one of the few stories, or one of the stories I always go back to where like the big bold prayer was answered. And it was a... Uh, New York City InterVarsity Regional Conference, and but it was the difference is that like God led them to pray the prayer, and so mm. it was one of those somebody was like guys I feel like God is asking us to pray something big, yeah, and so they I think it was they said they prayed for forty conversions in forty days, yeah, in for the whole region, and so it was but it was one of those things too where like they didn't even just like okay, so God is leading us to pray big, so we'll pray big and then we'll go. It was then followed up with the, okay, so what, like, what is my role in mm. helping, partnering with God to help that happen? And so, like, people were like, oh, let's, like, let's encourage each other to share our faith more. And, like, oh, let's do, like, this special other program or something that we hadn't yeah. gotten off the ground. And, like, I think it ended up, I think in the end it was, like, 42 conversions in 40 days. Awesome. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like, it's not, it, yeah, it's not a manipulation thing. Like God was still leading them. And that was yeah. probably the same case with Elijah of God was still leading him. And so therefore he knew he could pray bold. Yeah. And they also, there's the other difference is Elijah did alone. True. Yeah. Your, your group talk about praying in community. I think that's important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have a meeting coming up. Yes. So. We talked a, we talked a good amount. Yes, we did. Um, and we're not done with Elijah. Nope. So let's see what happens after the great victory on Mount Carmel. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you, as always. Thanks, Jess.